It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Mark Blunden and this is The Leader. So now we the famous tent. It's taken many, many hours of dedicated, or rather desiccated, lols, research and now the Great British Bake Off musical is the latest television show that's been reimagined for the West End stage. Production, which starts at the Nolkow Theatre in February, was inspired by the hit baking show and features 177 prop cakes, of varying quality, of course, a cast of eight contestants, and a pair of judges taking apparent inspiration from Prue Leith and Paul Hollywood. It's where we GBBO Musical joins the likes of Only Fools and Horses, Friends, Faulty Towers and the Eurovision Song Contest in hoping it's got the star uh, ingredients to tempt fans off the sofa to watch a play of a show they've already seen on the TV. Later we'll check the latest post-lockdown health of the West End with Evening Standard Arts correspondent Rob Dex. But first we're joined by Jake Brunger, a lyricist and writer who co-created the show with Pippa Cleary. Jake, what was your creative writing process during lockdown? As freelance writers, obviously the pandemic was a really scary time regardless. You know, Pippa and I are both self-employed. We both rely on a lot of teaching and things like that, you know, to supplement our incomes. And we were just worried that theatre wasn't really going to come back. We live just about 10 minute walk from each other. So we met up regularly discussing the plot of Bake Off. And then once you're allowed to travel again, we sort of took ourselves out of London to Pippa's parents' house. They're very good at letting us just go down there and hole ourselves up and, and work on the show. And yeah, gradually we just started to sort of piece together what a Bake Off musical might look like. And I think the pandemic was really useful for the writing of this show because it's about a group of people coming together and doing something very nice because bakers are nice, good people. They're very selfless. You only ever bake for other people, which is, again, a very good subject for a musical. You know, you're not, you've not got any sort of evil characters in there. They're all people you want to spend your evening with. So, yeah, I think there was definitely, you know, a sort of analogy to be made of this pandemic where you had to sort of bubble together. That's what the tent is, really. It's a bubble of brilliant people. And presumably a lot of GBBO episodes were watched for prep. 
Well, obviously, I'd watched all the series before, and we were lucky that during the writing of the show, there were two series actually being shown on TV across the time. I remember thinking as we watched it, oh my God, you know, they've got this character and we've already got that and they've done this and we've already done that. So we wanted to make our show as kind of uniquely original as we could, but at the same time, nodding towards things that have happened in the series. But yeah, we watched a lot of YouTube clips. There's one clip in particular where Paul Hollywood was making strudel dough by slapping the strudel dough down on the bench. And um, Pippa sort of went to the piano and we and we turned that into a song called Slap It Like That, which is now the sort of has become this sort of big act one number that audiences just went crazy for. Without revealing any spoilers, what's the plot? Obviously, there's eight contestants and they all come from very different backgrounds. We've got the sort of all the, the kind of classic characters from Bake Off that you'd expect to see, like the the granny from the East End. There's always tends to be someone, uh, a hipster who lives on a canal boat. And there's always a very posh, pretty girl who is usually studying something like classics at you know, Cambridge University. But then uh, the sort of the plot that we've weaved into it is that we follow Gemma, who is the backup contestant. Every year, Bake Off has a backup contestant in case someone isn't available to do the show. We didn't know this, but we actually interviewed um, Tamal Ray, who was one of the finalists, actually, in the year that Nadia won. And he told us about um, that David, who won Bake Off two years ago, was actually the backup contestant. So it gives you that sort of, you know, that underdog that you're kind of rooting for. And we decided to explore the story that Gemma had been a carer for her mum, and she had been caring for her for many, many years. And so when her mum sadly passes away about 18 months before the show she decides to apply for Bake Off to give herself sort of, you know, a life goal or a challenge to overcome. Because that's what musical theatre is. It's, you know, all the, the best musicals are either sort of rags to riches or ugly duckling to swan. So you want to see something of a journey in that main character. But yeah, so we did a lot of research into sort of uh, to carers. And we, we had a carer actually come to see the show in, um, in Cheltenham who just said that they thought we'd really got it right at what that life was like once the person you care for passes away. So that was really important to us that we'd done that. How did speaking with GBBO stars help? Well, very bizarrely, I had actually written a film um, starring Celia Imrie called Love Sarah, which um, was also about baking. And there is the tiniest of, of glimmers of cameos from Candice, who, who won the show, um, I don't know how many years ago now. Um, so yes, yeah, so I got to know Candice a little bit when we did the filming and we're doing the press tour for that. So uh, she's lovely. And obviously she's become, you know, like Nadia, we know, one of the main sort of big names of the show since. But the good thing about the research for Bake Off is that there are so many interviews online with contestants. I also read a lot of, um, some of them have written books. Norman, for example, has self-published a book about his time on Bake Off. I read all of the autobiographies and biographies of Mary Berry, Prulis, Paul Hollywood. I just sort of immersed myself in, in the world of the show and uh, there's a brilliant book actually by the journalist Anita Singh as well which is about how the show is made which I, I can't believe that isn't a bigger book I, mean, I think everyone should put it on their Christmas list to give to, as gifts to any Bake Off fans it's a great book about how the show is made and put together and who do you think your audience will be I think the people coming to see Great British Bake Off largely will be fans of the show but I think uh, you know and, we, and all the, we've put in a lot of the iconic things you know things like Bin Gate and Alaska Gate and um, just little little things that sort of the aficionados will recognise but I think Pippa and I, we very much pride ourselves on the fact that this is a musical that you don't need to have seen Bake Off to come and see the show. It actually stands alone as a musical in terms of eight contestants arrive at the beginning and one by one, you know that they're going to be voted off the show. And then by the end, someone is going to win. So it's a bit like an Agatha Christie, you know, a bit like the, you know, like the mousetrap. They're all gathered in this country house and you know that someone's going to have done it. It's so I, I sort of like really cheesily, I like to say instead of a who done it, it's a who won it. But that is very cheesy. <laughs> uh, but that's that's really how I see the show. 
that you know that at the end you can't leave an interval because you know if someone says oh who, who won you go oh i don't know so yeah you have to stay till the end to, to get that sort of compelling answer i think how was the trial run received by diehard gbbo fans in cheltenham before the west end over the summer we did a two-week what's traditionally called a tryout which is where you go to sort of uh, a city out of london to sort of put the show in front of a test audience and see where the jokes land where they don't land where possibly you might need to cut some scenes down or make it slicker or tighter and it was remarkable that really you know we only did a two-week run that from the word go literally the lights went down and as soon as the curtain came up on performance one the audience just went crazy for it i think i was more stunned than i've ever been at any other point in my career that it just seemed to work but yeah across that just a two-week run cheltenham said that they had the most repeat bookings for any show they'd ever had there and i think there was someone who came seven times in two weeks to see it and we heard of other people who'd seen it about four or five times. And there was someone who actually came to see every single performance. What were some of the technical challenges in bringing your showstopper to life? Yeah, well, we really had to think about, obviously, you know, we knew there was going to be a tent on stage and benches and, and those kind of things. But there was always questions of, well, would we have live cooking or not? And our choreographer, Georgina, has done the most incredible sort of movement and design of the show where, uh, you know, the, every time they move a bowl or a wooden spoon, it's, it's really intricately choreographed. But yeah, there are some effects in there as well. Um, some, and, and you get to see all of the bakes. There's something like, I think it's 177 prop cakes um, in various different, because obviously some of them have to be good, some of them have to be bad. And we had to really think about how you'd be able to see the, the tasks, you know, because you know, obviously they're, normally cakes are quite small. So we've, you know, we've got a couple of the tasks are quite big things that they're making so that you can see them from the back of the auditorium. Let's go to the ads coming up. My audiences are hungry for the visual comfort food of much-loved television shows. Why not hit rate and follow in the meantime? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Now we're joined by Evening Standard Arts Correspondent Rob Dex. Rob, why would people go and watch a play of a TV show they've already seen? When you first hear the news, you sort of think, well, well that's uh, an unusual idea. But actually, 
I'm amazed it's taken them this long to make it into a musical. I mean, it sort of lends itself so well to a musical. Um, there is always a bit of comedy in Bake Off. There's always a bit of tugging at heartstrings, you know, as the contestants sort of open up a bit on camera and you realise why they're there and why they do this and you know, how important it is to them. And I think food's a pretty emotional subject for a lot of people. It sort of it represents more than just, you know, what's on their plate. So I think it will actually and this may be the kiss of death, I think it would actually make a great musical. I, I'm amazed they've not done it before. And obviously Bake Off is just a commercial juggernaut. I think we're probably fairly typical in my house. We watch Bake Off, we watch Junior Bake Off, we watch Australian Bake Off. It's in the States, it's in about 40 territories around the world. It's a bit of a no-brainer if they can pull it off and turn it into a decent show. Any other success stories coming from TV and film to the stage? There's always that crossover, particularly actually with the big screen, with you know, films becoming theatre shows, theatre shows becoming films. In terms of the small screen, we did have Only Fools and Horses, the musical, which opened 2019. Bad timing. But um, He's still going now and he's booking to April next year, which I think in the current climate would be pretty much regarded as a success. And that's another kind of classic, much loved TV show where you know what's going to happen. You even know the lines, you know who all the characters are. So you'd think, why bother going to see a musical? But people clearly are going to see the musical version of it. We've got Upstart Crow, which is um, the BBC Two Shakespearean comedy, which I suppose is perhaps more likely to move onto the stage. It's been done quite well, had a couple of runs in the West End. So I think there's certainly nothing stopping a good show based on a popular TV show working, put it that way. How do you assess the theatrical health of the West End after lockdown? I think everyone will say to you, let's get to Christmas, because Christmas is a very, obviously, very important time in terms of theatre land. And people will want to see what happens at Christmas. And that, I think then the, the issue won't be COVID, it'll be cost of living where it whether people are cutting back on you know treat themselves to a show at christmas but i mean when theaters first started reopening there, there was a lot of one man and one woman shows and a lot of two-handers and that was mainly for covid reasons in that there was no point putting on a big show with a big cast because someone was going to get sick give it to everyone else and the show would be dead in two weeks but things are getting back to normal i was at good at harold pinterface last week which actually has a very small cast only four actors but the interesting thing was that after the show there was a proper old-fashioned press night party in which about 100 people went into a bar and ate canapes and drank champagne which might sound like a, a minor affair but the fact that they were prepared to do that and that they were prepared to mix together and in, in a small enclosed space showed that the things we were worried about in covid if you like <laughs> have gone away and that did feel a bit like business as usual that things were getting back on the road to recovery probably more importantly is tomorrow night where i'm going thursday night which is the press night for a show called marvelous um, at soho place now what matters there isn't really the show which i'm sure will be very good but it's the first new theater opening in the west end in about half a century millions and millions of pounds have been spent building this theater fitting it out to the state of the art highest possible quality people don't spend that much money unless they think it's going to work so i i think tomorrow night will be very much seen as a vote of confidence in the West End and in theatre land more generally. Are there any productions that you've seen recently that you've been particularly impressed by? I have to say Jodie Comer in, in Prima Face. It's a one-woman show. It's pretty tough subject matter. She is a lawyer who represents people involved in sex crimes who becomes a victim of a sexual assault herself. But it was her West End debut. It was a one-woman show. Theatre was still very much feeling its way back post-lockdown and she was absolutely brilliant and it was one of those things where you just think why have you not done this before how has it taken you this long to get on the west end stage no i mean she was fantastic rightly nominated in the evening standard theater awards for her performance 
and you just sort of think whatever she does next is probably going to be even better and the audience will be there for her because she she came out she was superb from the first second and it really felt like you know a real theatrical talent was announced i mean we probably all watched killing eve and we knew how good she was but until you see someone on stage you're never quite sure and, and she announced her arrival big time there's lots more news and features in the Evening Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. That's The Leader. We're back tomorrow at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.